As you are seated, I want to invite Kate and Ryan to come forward. This is um, Kate Donald and Ryan Moore. And this morning, we have the privilege of welcoming a couple of people into membership here at Gold Avenue. The Lord has been growing our numbers. Yes, praise God. And so Kate Donald and Ryan Moore um, are going to share a little bit, just a, a short, like the snapshot version of their story of knowing Jesus and why is this risen one? How has he made a difference? What does he mean to you? And so um, you want to test that and see if the volume's on? Can you hear me? Look on the bottom and see if it's turned on. Or down. Can you hear me anyway? (laughs) I was going to try and get out of using the microphone. Never works. Um, Yeah, Uh, what a gift and humbling honor to be able to be up here sharing with you guys on Easter Sunday because I feel like this day is about so much more um, than the little bit I have to share. Um, But at the same time, God's done so many miraculous, incredible things in my life. How could I not share? Um, So this is just a little snippet, a bit of my story. Um, So yeah, I was born here in Grand Rapids. I actually grew up here on the west side less than a mile from here, um, and lived here until I was five. Um, born into uh, what would have been called a Christian family. I think that we went to church um, while we were living in Grand Rapids. I don't really remember a whole lot of it. Um, but then we moved, when I was five, out to Allendale. And when we moved out to Allendale, my parents just, for whatever reason, didn't find another church. Um, I think we went to church on Easter Sundays and stuff like that. But other than that, Christ wasn't a whole lot of part of our lives. Um, And I know the move out to Allendale was um, really hard, particularly on my mom, um, for whatever reason. Um, And both of my parents, for my whole life, as far as I could remember, had had drank some or they had partied with friends a little bit or whatever, but it had never been like a consuming thing. But I, I know that as I got older and older and began to understand things a little bit more, I realized things are not normal in my family. Things are not okay. There's a lot of yelling and there's a lot of beer all the time and there's just a lot of unhealthy things going on. Um, so as I began to realize that more and more and as I got older um, and things became more and more chaotic, I started taking over some of kind of the adult parental roles in my family. Um, by the time I was about 10, um, kind of shifted and became the adult in my household and became the parent to my siblings. Um, And so um, trying to keep this short, um, it was really messy. It was really unhealthy. It was really broken. My parents were everything that you would think of when you hear the term raging alcoholics. Um, And so uh, it's I can laugh about it now. And it's funny because um, and I'll get there in a minute, but it's just so different from what it is now. Um, So. Uh, long story short and fast forwarding and condensing about 10 years into about 10 seconds, um, my parents were a really big mess. My family was a really big mess. I was a really big mess. I was taking on a lot of responsibilities that shouldn't have been mine and doing a lot of things that weren't mine to do and doing them to the best of my abilities, but doing them also as a child. Um, so you can imagine the um, mess that that leaves in the wake of, of a family. Um, but things got really bad with my parents. Um, I became pretty hopeless in that whole situation. Um, but when I was in middle school, a friend of mine invited me to come to a youth group. And I said, yeah, sure, because they had open gym and I was a bit of a tomboy and I really liked playing basketball. And it was a way to get out of my really chaotic, unhealthy house. Um, so I agreed to start going. And as I went, I heard 
um, this message and this truth being told over and over again of how God can do miraculous things in hopeless situations and it doesn't matter how bad it is or how broken it is or how unhealthy it is that Jesus can heal it. Um, And so it was through that I started thinking like, and I knew like I'd been trying and striving for so long to try and make things okay in my family to try and kind of fake it until we make it or to try and fix things or if I could just get enough things done or take care of my brother and sister well enough or if I made sure dinner was done on time and then things wouldn't be such a mess, but it was, it was never enough in my own striving and my own trying to make things better. But if there was any hope, it was going to be through Jesus. If there was any hope for my parents to get sober, it was going to be through Jesus. Um, if there was any hope for our family to somehow be healed from all of the mess that it was, it was only going to be through Jesus. So I thought, if, if there's any hope for this, I've got to put all my eggs in this basket, so to say, or I've got to, I've got to give everything because otherwise there's no hope for any of this mess. Um, so I did that, and I started following Jesus, and I, I think I gave my life to him when I was around 15. It's a little confusing because I think I actually, in my heart, had given my life to him, but because I hadn't been raised in the church, I didn't know you're supposed to pray a prayer or, you know, what the, the steps are. So somewhere in that area, I got saved. Um, and just a couple years after that, both my parents uh, miraculously and crazily almost both died in the process of trying to get sober or God forcing them to get sober. And then they got sober and uh, my family started a journey of healing. And now it's been 15 years since my parents got sober Um, and just an incredible transformation in my own life and my siblings' lives and my parents' lives. Um, I have a brother now who's a youth pastor out in Muskegon. My parents are both very active in their churches. If you met them today, you would never think for a second that any of some of the crazy stories that I have could be true but it's if I had more time I would share more of them with you but it's just undeniable um, for me how God there's no way any of that could have happened um, aside from God so that's a little bit of my story and I'm excited um, to be able to be part of this journey because I feel like God gave me that story and those experiences to be able to love on the people of this neighborhood. I believe he's called me to this neighborhood. Um, And so I feel like I want to be part of of you guys. I want to be part of this. I want to link arms, and I want to do life together. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Um, My name is Ryan. Um, I just want to first and uh, foremost give... um, Praise to God and uh, thanks that uh, he's given me the ability and the courage to come up here because I was always one of the ones that um, refused to get up in front of people and um, stage fright, you know. So so this is a big deal just for me to come up and talk to you guys, talk in front of people. So I just want to give thanks to God for that because he's delivered me from that. But, um, um, yeah, as far as um, growing up, I... Um, my parents, um, my mother was Catholic. My father um, had really obscure um, views on uh, um, life and religion. So um, him being the leader of the household, we um, kind of drifted towards that. So the um, just not knowing... Um, not knowing what to believe or questioning, having having um, tremendous doubt, and um, so I didn't really know God. Or um, I remember um, just 
if people ask me, I'd be like, yeah, we're a Christian. Or I'm Christian because we were Catholic. But it's like I had no idea what that meant. I was, um, we'd go to um, Catholic church every once in a while, but I was um, totally oblivious to what it really meant to be a Christian or who Jesus really was. And, um, and then in high school, um, I just found myself, um, my heart was extremely hardened and uh, just um, a lot of anger and, um, um, yeah, and just lost and um, self-absorbed, finding myself partying, living for myself and not for, so God was completely out of the picture. I didn't even, you know, we weren't going to church anymore and. Um, I was just basically living for myself and whatever I could find satisfaction in, whatever that may be, drinking or partying and, you know, lots of bad things. Um, So further down the road, um, uh, in my 20s, I got a decent job, started making decent money, and um, I started putting a lot of emphasis emphasis on... um, uh, worldly possessions, like buying things and thinking that that could satisfy, satisfy my <clears throat> needs. And um, there was just an emptiness. And um, through all the, you know, trying to buy whatever it may be, you know, thinking that things can provide, you know, fill that gap, fill that hole in my heart. But um, um, then my plant, the where my job um, went, uh, shut, started, they were, talking about shutting it down, so um, then I started to have to think about what I was going to do and where my next step was, and all the things that I had were going to be lost, and I couldn't afford anything anymore, so, um, and then my sister, kind of everything snowballed, my sister and my mom got saved, and um, started working on me and preaching to me, and, um, right, (laughs) (coughs) So in that point in time, it was all, I didn't even know God, what was going on. God started working on my heart, and I didn't even know it. And it was um, at that point. And then, um, then I started having people around me at work. Um, I started being curious and um, asking questions and found out that the people at work um, were Christians, and they started embracing me and talking to me and, tell, and um, started a Bible study, started reading Scripture, and... Um, Oh, man, God is amazing. He just started, I didn't even know it. So yeah, um, yeah. From then on, I started doing Bible studies and digging deep into the Word, and He just started working on my heart. God just started working on my heart, and it was like I didn't even know it was. Go- I didn't even know it was happening, and it's kind of um, not a conscious thing. And uh, um, Holy Spirit started working on me, and I started repenting from things and turning away from. But um, yeah, so. Yeah, and he just brought me a, 
um, sense or uh, just love and peace in my heart that's um, that can't be taken away. And um, I just thank him for it. And um, I look forward to um, serving with everybody at Gold's Church. And you know, that's pretty much it. Thank you. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan and Kay, um, Gold Avenue Church looks forward to doing life with you guys, too, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, we are so grateful for the hope that's in Jesus, and that's what we hear from both of you. There was an emptiness, there was a lostness, there was a brokenness, different brokenness, but brokenness, and that hope in Jesus. And so um, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and um, we thank you for for telling us about that and giving us a picture of that. And I want to ask you a couple of questions now, and I'm going to read through these four questions, and then I'll ask you to each answer, um, I do God helping me, if this is your answer. So here's the questions for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent to redeem the world? Do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin? And do you, with repentance and joy, embrace him as the Lord of your life? Second question, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God revealing Christ and his redemption and that the confessions of this church faithfully reflect this revelation? Third question, do you accept the gracious promises of God sealed to you in your baptism and do you affirm your union with Christ and his church, which your baptism signifies? And then final question, Do you promise to do all you can with the help of the Holy Spirit to strengthen your love and commitment to Christ by sharing faithfully in the life of the church, honoring and submitting to its authority, and do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere? Kate, what's your answer? I do, God helping me. And Ryan, what's your answer? I do, God helping me. Praise God. And church... um, we, we, um, I want to just read this to you. We invite the congregation um, to rise and to welcome the, just stand up a minute. We just need to stand up. Yep. And um, we want to welcome this, these two individuals into the full life and the communion of this church. And so um, I'm going to ask you this question. Will you welcome them? into this church with all the joys and the responsibilities, our pain, our suffering, our celebrations, um, will you do this? Will you welcome them? Yeah? Amen. Let's praise the Lord together. Would you join your hearts with me as I pray a prayer of blessing over them? Lord, we thank you for Ryan, and we thank you for Kate. And we thank you that your word says that what you begin in a person's life, you bring to completion. And so, Lord, we trust you, and we pray, would you take Ryan and would you take Kate deeper and deeper into the love and the grace that you have for each of them? Would you grow them in their understanding of the gifts that you've given them, of the ways that you're calling them to serve you as they lay down their lives. 
Would you fill them each with your Holy Spirit and make their lives fruitful for your sake, Jesus, and for your kingdom. Amen. Thank you so much. You Joni, I know that um, I know that you're tender with pain. We heard that in the prayer, but I just want to tell you how neat it is that you started to preach my sermon while you were praying. I, um, you were using the very words that the Lord was giving me this morning. I had a message prepared from Luke. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And as I um, spent time with the Lord in personal devotions this morning, just sensed that He was prompting me to shift gears and um, bring a, a short message of encouragement to us this morning from 1 Peter. And so we're going to read from 1 Peter, but before we do that, going to read um, together some words that will be on the PowerPoint. This is the first question and answer of a catechism, our teaching tool, and it's long been a source of comfort for the church. Uh, And so I'm going to invite us to read that together, both the question and the answer. We'll read both of them together. Okay? What is your only comfort in life and in death? that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. And if you, um, someone's found that, would you just let the rest of us know what page number that's on? Oh, it's up there. Thanks, Charlotte. Page 1886. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. And pray with me briefly. Lord, you know that you gave this sermon to me this morning. And so I pray that as I open my mouth, that you'll put words in it that will build up and strengthen and encourage everyone here. And I pray that you'll do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you were tuned in uh, to the news at all this week, you heard about the awful happenings uh, in Kenya on a university campus. And for anybody who might have missed it, there was a massacre of 150 plus students, uh, again by some um, radicals from neighboring Somalia. And uh, I I watched a short um, review of the story online and with it a little video. And as I was watching the video, they um, showed for a few brief seconds a clip of a woman who had lost someone in that massacre And um, she was being held up on either side by someone so that she didn't fall on her face. And just brace yourself, I'm going to imitate what she was doing. Um, She was was literally... Just this deep, deep, deep guttural pain. And the moment that I saw that pain, it took me back... Ten years. And I've shared this story with a few of you before. Um, Ten years ago, I was in China teaching university English, and my colleague in the English department, a Chinese woman, her mother died um, suddenly. And we were invited to go to the funeral. We went to that funeral home, and it was a Buddhist, kind of a, a cross between an atheist and a Buddhist funeral, but they had Buddhist traditions. And the tradition held that each person of the family would go up to the casket and would stand in front of it and would bow three times. And so we sat there watching the family members go until the granddaughter of this woman who had um, died went forward. And she made it through one and she made it through two. And on the third one, she did the same. And she could not hold it and she just and crumpled to the floor. I have never in my life been in the presence of such hopelessness. Utter, utter despair. No hope. Facing death and no hope. Everybody needs hope to live. You cannot hope. You cannot live without hope. If you're living and you don't have hope, you're despairing. And if you're despairing and you despair enough, you don't live. You take your life. 
Everybody needs hope to live in. So the whole world is hoping. They're hoping all the time. And as I survey the world around us, here's some of the hoping that I'm seeing. I'm seeing university students the whole world around spending thousands of dollars and thousands of hours hoping that studying just the right thing will get them enough experience, enough education, enough something to put them ahead of the rest and to land them the right job and the right line of work that will be meaningful enough and give enough money to get by. And they're hoping. And they're hoping. And I'm seeing a world that's 20% Muslim where 20% of the world is hoping, they're hoping, that if they just say the right prayers and do the right things and they're good enough They have enough righteousness on their own that when they reach their death, all the good that they've somehow managed to do will somehow outweigh the bad. They don't know, so they live without certainty, but they're hoping. They're hoping. And I'm, I'm watching a world in which we constantly hope that our bodies would stop this continual breakdown to decay. You know? And, and where we spend thousands of dollars trying to maintain these bodies, trying to maintain them for health, to not die and not break down. Others trying to maintain them so that maybe they'll be lovable enough. Bodies that, that we think others will be attracted to. Placing our hope in our bodies. I, I look around us in the neighborhood and I see um, hope that tomorrow won't be as difficult as today, that the hurt in the heart won't, won't, just won't be as much, and that hope gets drowned into a bottle, and that maybe at the end of the bottle it won't feel as bad as it feels. Or maybe in the arms of another person, It never ceases to amaze me. I've met multiple different people who are on their fifth and sixth marriages. Maybe in the arms of the next person. And don't you know that all of these people that are hoping, they're all hoping for good things. They're hope, we were made, we were made for the meaning that the university students are looking for. We were made for the eternal life that the Muslims long for. We were made to have our hearts whole. And we were made to love and be loved. It's not that hoping for these things is bad. It's where you place your hope. And whether your hope is a false one or whether your hope is a true one. Whether your hope is alive. And this is the message that Jesus comes to us with this morning again. That when we place our hope in Jesus, we have a living hope. We have a living hope because our hope is placed in a living Lord. Our hope is placed in the only One who has met death and sin with all its chaos and tyranny and has defeated them, who's overcome them, who's gone to a grave and risen. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of the dead. 
from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, can't spoil, and it can't fade. It matters. It matters where and what we hope in. Jesus is a living hope because Jesus is a living Lord. And Peter goes on to talk about how through faith we're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And and then he talks about the grief and the trials that we can have. And it's really important to not skip over that part. Because what makes Christian hope centered on Jesus Christ different than the hope of the rest of the world is that Christian hope takes the long view. It takes the long view of history. It acknowledges that we still live in a broken world, a world that's tainted by sin. It acknowledges that we suffer grief and trials, but that our hope in and through the midst of those trials is this faith that Joni was praying about. This faith that means the world to us because it's the only thing that sometimes can't be stolen from us, right? Yeah. This past week, um, this is my father-in-law Jim right here, and this past week his brother had a stroke out of the blue. That was a scary thing for the family, but a scary thing that was filled with hope because he and we belong to Jesus Christ and we take the long view. And Jesus fills us with hope through that scary thing. Last week, Sunday, we welcomed Sandy into the family of God. You you heard the story of how during Wednesday prayer she was led to Jesus and, and a new birth happened. Well, Sandy said to me, Pastor Dave, can you go visit my boyfriend in prison? Um, He's being held there on charges of murder. So I went to visit him this past week. And, you know, I I looked up his picture online. And those when you get booked in those pictures, they never, they never, they're never really, you never really look that great when you're getting booked in. But his looked really scary. I thought, oh man, oh man, like he, he looks mean, he looks angry, he looks wild. What am I, I going to meet? And when I got in that jail cell, I was in for the shock of my life because the man who came in and met me was a man who was full of peace and joy and a man who said to me, I heard that Sandy just became a Christian, that she just came to know Jesus. And I said, yeah, do you know Jesus? He said, I do. I came to know Jesus this month in jail. And I know that He's forgiven my sins. Hope. So there's a man who's facing many, many years in prison. Facing separation from the one he loves. But hope. And it's not a false hope. It's not a vain hope. It's a living hope. Because it's attached to a living Lord. And so as we gather this morning, Easter Sunday... Um, we don't gather um, rah, rah, cheer, cheer, pumped up, praise the Lord that denies the griefs and the trials and the difficulties 
things that we've been through that hurt, the things that we're wrestling through right now. Our faith is one that envelops all of those and in the midst of them says to us, you are able to live with glorious, inexpressible joy. Joy that you can't even put into words. Joy that leads Ryan to cry. Leads him to cry. There's no words. That was joy, wasn't it, Ryan? I can't believe, we've heard you say that over and over, I can't believe that God loves me so much that He came to me and rescued me from all the bondage and tyranny of sin. He's healing my heart. And so, if you're, I don't know where you are this morning, but here's the message the Lord wants you to hear personally. That glorious joy is and can be yours. And if you're not experiencing it, you don't need to fake it. You don't need to say, well, I'm a Christian, or I say I'm a Christian, and so I, I guess I'm supposed to have this. If, if you're not experiencing it, the Lord invites you to allow Him, perhaps through others, to massage more deeply the living hope that we have in Jesus into the fabric of your heart and of your life. Because you can be a Christian and not live with that joy. You can be separated from it. But that's not what God has for each of His children. God is a Father who longs to pour into each of our hearts continually and is continually willing to give to us the love, the joy, and the peace that led Him to bring Jesus, to send Jesus to the cross. Amen? Yeah. So let me pray for each of us this morning. Let me close by praying that the Lord would lead us more deeply into that, the living hope. Lord Jesus, thank You that You are risen from the dead, that You're present with us this morning, that Your Word says that there's nothing that can separate us from Your love, that You're a God who keeps His covenant promises. Thank You that we belong to You. Thank You that belonging to You is and can be our only comfort in life and in death. Lord, if we're looking to or finding comfort in other things, would You please just expose those and remove them? And Lord, lead us. Lead us to find and receive and live in more deeply and fully the living hope and comfort that come from You and You alone, Jesus Christ. In Your holy name we pray. Amen.